welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. Today is March 16th, 2022. I'm Rick Morton, and this is the Defender Podcast. Well, folks, today I'm flying solo. Herbie is not here, and uh, and so we're going to have a chance to to be able to uh, to do this a little bit on our own today. And uh, and so to, for today's interview, I'm really um, excited, a little bit challenged by uh, the guests that we're going to have. We're going to be talking a, a little bit more about the war and the crisis in Ukraine um, with uh, with one of our Ukrainian friends and. And, and a dear brother that, uh, that that Herbie and I have come to know very well over the years. But before we get to that, um, I want to point you to Lifeline's resource page. Uh, if you're in need of helpful articles or other resources for your family, um, please go and v- visit our resource page. Topics covered include adoption, attachment, siblings, medical needs, children's behavioral challenges, birth parents, how to address grief, trauma, and more. You can find all of those articles and more at lifelinechild.org backslash articles. That's lifelinechild.org backslash articles. Well, we want to turn our attention now to our interview today. And um, I had the privilege a couple of days ago to be able to sit down with Ruslan Maljuta, who is the former founder and uh, facilitator of the World Without Orphans movement. He's now working for a, a ministry that, uh, that serves movements all over the world that are, that are gospel-centered movements that are, that are centered on pulling, bringing the church together um, to solve large problems in in the name of Jesus and and so Ruslan has become a dear friend uh, to us here at Lifeline and and somebody that we uh, we love dearly uh, was able to catch up with him talk a little bit about the uh, the crisis in Ukraine um, about his home in Kiev and uh, and the things that uh, that that he knows about uh, maybe a little bit of the inside scoop of some things that are happening there and so just want to invite you to um, to take a listen to this interview. I think you'll find it informative, challenging. Uh, but most of all, I think what you'll find in this is uh, a number of things to, to pray for and to pray with the, the Ukrainian church about as they continue to face the challenges of the war. And so without further ado, we want to, to jump into our interview. So Ruslan, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rick, for the invitation. Uh, it's just, it's so good to be here and thank you. And thank you everyone who is listening for your care and interest in what's happening in Ukraine. Uh, it is a very difficult time, but, uh, encouraging part of this challenge is to see how many people care and pray and do what they can. So Ruslan, you've been on this, on the podcast before, but for folks that, uh, that may be unfamiliar with, with you, um, could just, why don't you share a little bit just about your family and then the work that you're doing at One Hope and, and uh, kind of give us a little bit of a sense of, uh, of who you are. Thank you. Uh, I mean, I've been in full-time ministry for all my life. And uh, while I was not planning it initially, uh, only a few years in, it became very much focused on orphans and street children and vulnerable children. 
So I'm one of those examples of people who thought that big things in God's kingdom is preaching and teaching and this kind of stuff. But I'm, I'm eternally grateful that God has allowed me to see things that he sees so clearly and the things that he cares so clearly. It's children who are not protected, who need help. So it became the predominant uh, priority in my work in ministry for many years. Of course, starting in Ukraine, like you said, I'm, I, I feel so honored to, to be part uh, of initial group that started Ukraine Without Orphans, that vision that I believe God has put into hearts of a number of people, and just to see uh, how, it, how it grew and how it impacted both many children and families and churches in Ukraine, and then also globally through World Without Orphans. So I had immense privilege of being part of uh, this global initiative uh, and also working with you and many others, just seeing this, this hope and this dream uh, coming true. And then for past four years, I've, uh, I've transitioned more into working with networks and, and movements generally in the church. So yes, my ministry home is One Hope. And one hope's vision is God's word every child. So what we do is, is provide various opportunities for children and youth to engage meaningfully with the scripture uh, through printed materials, digital resources, and basically any, any, anything that could work. And then, but also my specifically, the biggest part of my work is still with networks and movements. I spend a lot of my time with World Evangelical Alliance, with 414 Movement, still connected with World Without Orphans. So to summarize, I would say that my passion and my calling in this season of ministry and life is to see the body of Christ working together to around common vision. Uh, to, to see some lasting fruit uh, for the kingdom. And then, of course, this starts in my home. I mean, my wife, Anna, and I, we are blessed with five boys. So when I say that I spend my time in networks, this is my primary network, <laughs> a network of five boys from six to 18 years old and one wife. And I would say this, this is, I think this is probably the biggest thing I have in my, in my ministry and my life. That's, uh, that's incredible. And I can't believe that your oldest is 18 years old. That, that tells me that you and I both are getting old. <laughs> yes, I can't, I can't believe this myself. I'm just, I still need to kind of remind myself that, that I'm, I'm, I need to know that I'm a father of someone who is like a grown up man and adult. Right. But right. at the same time, he is, it's, it's actually, I enjoy having uh, grown up children. Because he is now alongside me, like we are trying to do now what we can with this situation in Ukraine. And, and he's been incredible help. And not just help, but sort of I'm, I'm grateful for God is working through him to, to help people now in our country. That's, that's incredible. And that's a, that's a good segue, I think, to talk about the things that are, you know, that are happening in Ukraine. When, uh, before we began to record today, you and I were just talking a little bit about the about the situation and really that that this has been one of those things I think that we um, we've all known was a possibility for many many years um, but no one really believed was probably going to happen that yeah. that it it always seems like a threat it doesn't it doesn't really ever seem like it's going to be you know actualized and and so um, how how has that um, it, it has like were you prepared for this at all or 
or talk a little bit about the the surprise of what's going on. To be honest, I don't think that it's possible to prepare for something like this. It just, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I cannot say that it was a surprise. And uh, and as you and probably many listeners know that that there is a war going on in Ukraine. There was a war going on in Ukraine since 2014. After, you know, there was a revolution to keep Ukraine oriented, like democratically oriented and so on, that ousted our pro-Russian president who ran away to, to, uh, to the neighboring country. So after that, and I, uh, I mean, what happened was that Russia essentially sponsored a separatist uh, war in Ukraine. They sent troops, they sent uh, arms uh, in Donbass. So you have Donetsk and Lugansk, two major cities that since that time have been occupied by the separatists, uh, Russians, and so on. So in a way, we had this war happening, and it was real war, especially for the first year. And then I'll just I'll just mention that there were more than 1.5 million people who were who were displaced because of that who came. Like in my church, where I go to, we have we had hundreds of people who came from that region fleeing from from the war. So it was there, but then it kind of became, I mean, there was like a stalemate almost, there was still fighting, but was very kind of relatively mild. There were no kind of advances. So it's been there for years now. So we are talking seven years. And of course this year things, last year things began to, to escalate and the intelligence, like US intelligence, other countries started saying that there is a prospect of, of a big war. And I'll just, I can tell about my own journey on this. So I always felt that there can be a big war in Europe. Like whenever I saw someone who would say, no, there is no way there can be, I'm like, no, it actually can happen. Yes, with all of the history we have, yes, with all the craziness of this, but unfortunately people who are, I mean, people are sinful, like are fallen and they're capable of really bad things. We are capable of really bad things. So I always felt that it's possible, but at the same time, I did not think that it was likely. So even with all of the buildup, and I and I can say that the vast majority of Ukrainians probably thought that too. It's possible, but unlikely. So the reason why how we ended up kind of uh, investor in Europe is just that at some point, we've, I mean, Anna and I, when we were talking and praying, we just got this kind of almost weird sense that we need to go. And we were blessed to have a possibility without major disruption, like it's still a disruption. But relative, I worked remotely. So there were kind of, it kind of did not seem like a too big a deal. I mean, it's still a major deal, but what was crazy about it when we gathered our things, we were saying goodbye to our parents. And then when we started talking, you know, this, there is a slight chance that we might not be able to go back. Like if, mm. if those, you know, crazy project, you know, forecasts will materialize. So I remember, like, I remember that, like looking at, you know, at our house, looking at, you know, our neighborhood, uh, then at our kids and I'm thinking like, there is a possibility that we may not be able to go back. So, and then fast forward to February 24th, you know, we are in Western Europe, you know, ever since peaceful, it's a morning again, this is the day, I will remember many things about this current season, but that that morning especially got stuck in my memories and our oldest son, Max, came in, comes into our bedroom, wakes us up because he was the first one who saw that. Uh, and then he said, there is war in Ukraine. And that was the shock because, because it actually happened. But another shocking thing was the scope of it or the scale of it. As you may remember, there was bombings all over Ukraine. So immediately we knew that it's not only that the war started, 
but we knew that that a war started in uh, probably a, one of the worst cases, like one of the worst scenarios possible. Yeah, I think the the scale of the crisis is probably a little hard for people to, you know, for us to get our minds around. And and I think even even as we've heard the numbers and they continue to escalate, and and I think I, I heard today earlier that um, that the estimate is that that over two and a half million people have fled Ukraine and and have left the country. Uh, but but as you and I were talking earlier, that really is is not a number that really shows the full impact of of all of the people that have that have been affected so why don't why don't you share a little bit about just kind of the 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 things that have taken place as far as as people moving from east to west and the number of displaced people and 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 how that is affecting uh, the country as a whole yeah uh, certainly yeah and it's one thing that we and i know that anyone who watches the news, they notice that. But just to, re to reiterate, the scale of this war is really huge because it started, the, act the bombings, and not just the bombings, but the active fighting started on in three out of four parts of the country. So you have north, you know, Kyiv, Chernihiv, you have active advance of the Russian troops from there through Belarus. And then you have east where, you know, traditionally there has been already fighting in Donbass, but then Kharkiv, a major, major fighting from almost the beginning. And then you have the South, South, uh, Kherson, Nikolaev. I mentioned the cities because my, my guess is that probably many more people know the names than they would ever used to. Like it's all Mariupol. Is, and the, so you have this major advancements, invasion, battles on the ground. So which, while in the first days of the war, there were probably some people thinking, yeah, we might not, like, we might not need to go anywhere. And we've seen this, un this unfold. We know a lot of people, we have a lot of family. So you could see how people are journeying in their mind from, well, maybe we are safe to this seems, this does not look good to we have to get out of here. So, and, and not and many people sort of did not have a chance when they arrived at that understanding they need to get out. So, so while we can look at one number is number of refugees, meaning the people that cross the border into other countries, and it's been growing just exponentially, 2.5 million people in 18 days. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's unbelievably a huge number. Uh, Poland is already full. Like there are literally Warsaw, Krakow, they're already saying like they can, I'll just give an example. Warsaw has a population of little over a million people and they have 200,000 refugees from Ukraine. And, but then what's happening even more so, and it's not maybe re, probably not reported that way is internally displaced people. Most of the people, they never cross the border. They move somewhere vast in Ukraine. So only today, I finally today, Heard the number, it's estimate. I did not have a chance to verify it yet, but it says that total number of displaced people in Ukraine is more than 7 million, including the refugees. So 7 million people are on the move in Ukraine. And, and that correlates with our personal experience. Like we, we, we know a lot of people who left their homes and we know that most of them have not yet crossed the border. They're moving west. And many of them, they not intending to as long as they can. So, so the scope of this uh, crisis, and can I share something that I don't see mentioned often because there is so much pain, like with that kind of amount of pain, you know, some nuances are being lost. And here is one of them that is not actually small. 
if you remember some few minutes ago, I mentioned about people who were displaced because of the war in Donbass. Mm -hmm. So what's happening now, and this really just, it's so hard for us to watch. And I say this because we know some of these people personally. So imagine a family that got displaced eight years ago because of the war and they lost their home, they lost their jobs, they lost their businesses. They came, let's say, to Kiev area. And over the past seven years, they were able to rebuild. I'm not making this up, I literally know cases, mm -hmm. many cases like this. And they rebuilt it, they kind of sat, sat and now, now they have to, they are refugees again. Second time in seven years. So, so, yeah. so that's just, that just uh, horrible. And I think, you know, so many of the folks that, that listen to this podcast are adoptive families, foster families, families that are, that, that on some level have, um, they encounter trauma on a daily basis and mm -hmm. the lives of, you know, the children in their, in their homes. And, and so I think we, we don't need to miss the fact that this is, this is a deeply traumatic event. Um, it, it's, you know, deep trauma for, for so you know millions of people, but but a layering of an effect of, of multiple yeah. things upon, you know, some of these folks that have been displaced more than once and are, and are, you know, kind of, again, um, fleeing for their lives. I, I think, you know, Rislam, one of the other things that I, that I think is, is not being reported as much. Um, it, and it's the way that the Ukrainian church is, is stepping up and, and caring for people and, and for those, you know, some four and a half, five million people that are displaced within the country. Um, I, I, you know, hear story after story after story um, over the course of this 19 days of the ways that Christians have opened their homes and the way that they've opened their churches and the way that, that God's using the body of Christ in order to, you know, to meet the needs of, um, of, of, of people that are, you know, that are fleeing the, the conflict. And, I, you know, I wonder any, like any stories kind of come to mind of, of things that you've heard where, um, where, where, you know, of instances that churches are, are, you know, really kind of stepping up in a, in an interesting way. I mean, this is probably one of the more encouraging parts. Of course, again, this is still really hard, but as I'm looking at what's going on and the response, this is what I'm really encouraged is how the church arised to, uh, to, to this. And, you know, as I'm thinking about this, I actually have, I don't know a single church that hasn't, honestly. Like it's, um, it's not like I know all of them, but I literally don't know a single church that has not uh, done or is not doing something now to help refugees. I mean, many examples. I mean, my own church, it's in Kiev suburbs, so it's kind of very, um, very close to the dangerous zones. I mean, they're feeding people, giving medicine, uh, evacuating many churches what they do now, which is really risky and really tough, they organize evacuations of people from very dangerous places. And then sort of they, they develop a whole like chain for them, uh, sort of whole journey, because it's, I mean, it's getting them out, then, then you know, uh, bringing them to a transitionary place, then moving them further west, and then often across the border. So, so the churches are doing incredible work on this. There are churches that have that have themselves found themselves right in the middle of fighting. Like you, you may have heard those names, Buche and Irpin. Irpin, I'm still fascinated that people actually know them. They are two 
two are like two smaller towns, but are satellite towns for key. Like if I were to talk American language here, I would say two kind of middle class to upper middle class community, like large yeah. communities. And they were, they, they, uh, people hear about Mariupol now, but the things got as bad there is Mariupol. Just on a smaller scale, uh, active fighting people. I know. I uh, we have a we have a church there too from my network. The pastor of that church has spent seven days with his wife in the basement without going out because there was active fighting on top. But at the same time, some of the churches who had facilities they become refuges, like places for for shelters essentially, and uh, some of the churches got destroyed. So it's. I'm sharing these stories because it shows the range of what's happened. You know, some some churches, I mean, in Western Ukraine, they they just basically turn into a 24/7 uh, shelters or uh, or centers to receive and then help uh, people move on. And some were just right in the middle of war zone and basically were almost like a last resort for people uh, to 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 go anywhere there and then there are so many there are another church in Vinnytsia that has have camp they have a camp and they turn the whole camp into this kind of a facility so so it's all hands on deck everyone is doing what they can I know another significant actually one of key leaders in Ukraine his church is right in Kiev he and his two older sons are right there coordinating response you know right in the middle of the city that most likely will will will, will have a major attack going against yeah. it so i can keep like i'm, I'm kind of jumping from one place to another just to indicate that it's that it's, it's that's what's happening every, yeah. every every church is doing something now to, to help others i heard a story yesterday about a church planner friend that is uh, toward the west and uh and that they had marshaled together uh five buses and actually just bought another bus so part of the, you know, part they they bought a they bought a bus for the purpose of continuing to to go back east and to ferry people west and and so like you said there's there are, there are so many things that so many people are doing and um and I, I think you know as as we look at it we you know naturally we want to we want to help and and one of the things I've told people over and over again is that that um, the the church is strong in Ukraine. Um, that one of the things that that the the religious freedom that that has been enjoyed for years in Ukraine has produced is uh, is is a church that's vibrant, a church that's that's outward focused in in many respects, a church that's trained missionaries that are literally all over the former Soviet Union and all over the former all over the world, and 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 so the the thing that's not absent in all of this is is the gospel, right? And, uh, and, and we know that, um, that the hope of Ukraine is the hope is the same hope that's for all of us. And it's, and it's not for peace in this life. It's, it's, you know, peace with God and, and ultimately the, you know, the gospel. And so we, we pray that the Lord will use even the difficult time in, in order to be able to, um, to, to accomplish that and to, and to reach men, women, and boys and girls with the gospel, um, I think, you know, obviously you and I um, have worked in the space of orphan and vulnerable children for a long time. It, it, it's certainly a question that's on the minds of many uh, about the vulnerability of children who are already 
so vulnerable in, in the middle of, you know, of any society. And I think we, we're, we're blown away with the scope of this crisis and with the number of people that have, you know, almost instantaneously been made vulnerable. Um, but we don't want to forget about the fact that there are, there are children who really have had no voice and have, you know, have, have needed uh, the intervention of others and, you know, just in order to be able to survive. And, and I think the question that I'm asked most by, by people that, you know, know that we have such a strong heart connection to Ukraine is what about, you know, what's going on with orphan and vulnerable children in Ukraine? And so, you know, like, how would you answer that question? Yeah. yeah. No, there's so several things that I want to say. One, and you, you already alluded to this, that with the scope and scale of what's going on in Ukraine, I can confidently say that every person in Ukraine is vulnerable now. The question is only the extent, extent of this. And every person yeah. is suffering and in some kind of distress. So it just, I know it's hard to kind of almost like wrap you know, our minds around it, but it's reality that I observe and the reality that I know from interpersonal interactions. Of course, there is a difference. There is a difference between someone who is in relative safety in Western Ukraine and someone who is in Mariupol now, which is just hell on earth. I think it's closest right. place one can be to hell is probably in Mariupol at the moment. And But the, again, there is a whole range. And of course, those who are vulnerable anyway, are become, I mean, are becoming even more so vulnerable now. So, so, so it's it's a very valid concern to asking what's happening. This good part of this or encouraging part of this that there are some intentional efforts to help uh, to help children in uh, because we still have, despite of years of working on that, we still have children in institutions. It's a different dynamic, different demographic from what even you might remember back when you came to Ukraine, but they're still there. So there have been efforts to evacuate children from uh, from orphanages and where they work. And most of the Christian or many of the Christian centers that work with children in various ways, I know that many of them have evacuated to Poland, to Germany, to Switzerland. So, and then same is the foster and adoptive parents. I'm very encouraged that Ukrainian government, I saw that almost like it was a, almost like an hourly de development by, by, by an hour. Like the first they said, no man between 18 and 60 can leave Ukraine. Mm -hmm. Then literally several hours, maybe next day later, they said, except of those who have more than three or more, the kids all have adopted children. So mm -hmm. which was very encouraging. So they made that uh, amendment specifically to make sure that those children who are adopted, they have additional layer of protection. Uh, so, that's awesome. so, that, so that was encouraging. And so I would say that it's still very difficult because, for example, there are orphanages that are on the territory that is now under Russian army control. And we literally don't know or what's going on or have uh, like Ukrainians are not able or have limited uh, possibility to do there. As you know, there have been a lot of uh, examples of Russian soldiers blocking the corridors shooting at uh, the evacuations, uh, basically committing crime, war crimes. So, and some of this has affected uh, the children in orphanages and, ch and children's homes. So it's still, I think no one knows the true kind of extent of what's going on. But as I said, I've been encouraged by some specific efforts that are large, fairly large scale to serve those who are most vulnerable. So that's one side, and by the way, another what I'm also just before our interview I came off the call when there is a, an effort to coordinate response to prevent trafficking 
the trafficking of children and women. And as you, as you know, uh, orphans or children from foster care, they often are uh, those that are being targeted. So, so there is, again, there is another angle of response is trying to prevent these kind of things from happening. Yeah, and I, and I think those are the things that, that many times in the, in the heat of a crisis like this that we don't think about. And, and we don't think about those extra, you know, avenues of, of vulnerability. I, I think, um, you know, there, I, I heard yesterday that um, a, a mutual friend of ours in, uh, in Mariupol that uh, lost a, an adopted daughter um, yes. who, who had, who leaves a three-year-old child behind. And, and literally she was, she was not a combatant. She wasn't a, a party to any conflict. She was, she was a mama that was just living in her apartment, doing the best that she could to, you know, care for herself and to care for her child. And, and I think the, the reality of um, this is like, this is going to be something for years that we're going to, you know, we're going to have to lean into and, and to find ways to find ways to help and to find ways to, to serve. And I think right now, um, you know, it's, it's dominating the news and, and it's, and it's everywhere. Um, but, but one of the things that I would, you know, I would say is to the body of Christ, we can't allow this to, to be something that we become distracted from now. Um, there are immediate needs that, that will you know, present themselves now and we need to press in and, and do our very best to support them. But there are, there are long-term needs that are, you know, that are being created. And I know in our personal experience, and, and it's nothing like what, you know, what you're experiencing, but I think in our time living through and, and living through the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina here, mm-hmm. um, you know, spending a year displaced from our home and not really being able to go back to, you know, to the same place and, and, and all of the challenges that, that came with that. I think the, the long-term effects were, you know, the loss of community and the loss of the loss of relationship and, and the challenge that, um, that a, a large scale event like that brought. And, and so I want to challenge the folks that are, that are listening to us to, to pray for you, to pray for the, the people of Ukraine, for our, our friends there who, um, life is, life is different and they're going to be, you know, results from this. Um, and, and that we, we need to, we need to, to purpose ourselves, um, to, to walk alongside and to, you know, be there for, you know, for the long haul. Um, Ruslan, how, how would you, how would you ask the church to pray today? No, it's thank you. And I, there are actually a few, several specific things that I would like to mention. But before I do that, I think what you just said is really important to real to know, to keep in mind that this is a long-term thing. Even, and this is like I, I, I hate actually that that's what I'm going to say is the case. But even if the war stops today, like if tonight for for some miracle, miraculous reason we learned that the war completely stopped, Russian troops withdrew. We are looking at years of restoration, and I don't mean yeah. facilities. I mean, of course, right. that too. But right. it's uh, it's uh, there already has been damage done and trauma created that would take a long time to to work through. And then the story that you mentioned it almost it almost embodies this this what we are mm-hmm. what we are looking at. You have you have 
a girl that was went through some really hard time, was adopted uh, by Gennady, and then had started her own family. And now her life was cut short by a tank, and and her her son is is uh, has lost his mom, and so it just it's kind of that almost like is a horrible illustration of this horrible war. But uh, but uh, but but we do. I mean, we do want to respond. Like part of me, I dream about the day when Ukraine will disappear from the news. Like I. Uh, because I hope that that will mean that you know there is nothing really bad to report to. Right. But I hope it will not disappear from people's hearts and people's minds, even if it goes off the news. And several things that I would like to ask through this conversation, people to pray. One, please pray for those who are suffering. It's. Uh, I mean, if you know individuals by name, if you know, please pray for them. If not, just pray for those because. It's a, it's a lot, like I said, everyone is in some kind of pain in Ukraine, but also I'm, I'm adding now, like pray, pray for those who are suffering in Russia. Many people are suffering in Russia mm -hmm. too. In many lost their, you know, their close ones, soldiers, many, many are waking up to reality of having lived in deception in life for, for years. It's, it's, it's difficult to, to and, and so, so there is a lot of suffering going on there. So please pray for those who suffer them. Then pray for those who serve others. Like we talked about this uh, church, uh, churches responding. And I know just uh, just countless now examples of, of, of people just stepping into this pain and doing what they can, but, but when they are hurting themselves, that's that's like this almost like those two prayer needs, they come together because when I say pray for those who serve, if you are looking at someone who does it in Ukraine now, they are suffering too. Yeah. So, so it's so it's, uh, but but at the same time, they they reach out to others and they serve in sometimes in incredible ways. Sometimes, literally risking their lives. This is mm -hmm. this is one of those times when to say risking your life is not an exaggeration. It's that's yeah. exactly what's happening. There is actually a story you might heard uh, that there was a Christian uh, volunteer who got killed together with a woman and her two children that he was trying to help evacuate. The, they just had his funeral uh, yesterday, I think, or the day before. So, so there are so <clears throat> there is a very real risk involved in many places right now. But then the third prayer request that I would have is that while this is a, this is really the darkest hour that I can imagine for for people for a country to go through, but I would ask you and others to pray for God to not only help Ukraine to go through this challenge and, and survive, but to help Ukraine to go through this and emerge even a stronger and freer country. Mm -hmm. And I'm and a country where gospel continues to be preached and the kingdom continues to be to spread both within and beyond. And I really believe that. I know that it sounds like a crazy wish, but looking back, what uh, looking at what God has already done in Ukraine against many odds, I'm actually asking this as a as a as a as an intentional request to pray for something that I believe God can and hope want to do will do in Ukraine. Well, and I I think you know my brother we we have um, we have a sense of what God can do um, mm -hmm. because because we've seen you lived the story of Ukraine without orphans and this you know this idea that churches all over Ukraine um, rose up and and have continued to rise up to care for 
orphan and vulnerable children and and to um, to do something that is quite you know quite honestly was very unexpected very you know like a story that is that's that's attributable to nothing but you know the the power of God and and I think um, we we know that the the Lord can do that I I, I think also um, it it goes without saying the the heart and and the resolve of the Ukrainian people uh, is deep and and I think there are there are many of us who in in some ways are not surprised that um, that Ukraine is is standing up and standing together and 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 pushing back against you know uh, just unspeakable tyranny and 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 the things that that are being experienced and so I, I pray for the day when we're able to look back on this and and to see all that the you know that the Lord has done and accomplished um, for for His glory, um, but um, but I but I pray that we could see an end to open conflict and and to the you know just to the to the devastation that we continue to see, my friend. Yeah, and uh, can I say, and uh, please yeah. do pray for that. You said pray for the end. Of, I mean, I think it's very appropriate to pray for for the war yes. to end. Yes. I think it's very and again. I don't want to get political, but it's very appropriate, probably at this point, to pray for the Putin's regime to end because it's yeah. it's it's. I think I can liken it to Soviet Union regime to Hitler regime. It's appropriate to pray. Oh, God knows how to do it. Like I don't know the way to do it, <laughs> but we can be praying for that to pray for peace and to pray for breakthrough and God can do even more than we can imagine. So, so yes, I just, I just resonate, just want to thank you and just really resonate with how you're approaching it. No, for sure. And, uh, and, and do know that we will be praying for, for you and for Anya and for your boys. And uh, as you know, as, as you walk through day by day through this. And, and so um, just love you, my friend, very thankful thank for you, you and, thank and you. thankful for the way that the Lord has used you and, in my life and, and has used you as a, a partner of our ministry and, and someone that, uh, that that we've had the joy to journey with for a long time. And so know that we'll continue to pray for you. We'll check back in with you again. And uh, and, and, and we uh, we trust that uh, until we're able to be together again, that the Lord will, will hold you and keep you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit herbienewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.